podcast is brought to you by Nova Southeastern University's Fischler School of Education and Human Services. The Fischler School has the largest graduate school of education at an accredited university, serving more than 14,000 students each academic year in some 55 cities across the United States, plus approximately 40 other countries. Hello, this is Dr. Marilyn Gardner with the United States Distance Learning Association, and thank you for joining us this week for our weekly podcast. And this week, I think you're going to be very interested. Our podcast is entitled NROC and the Promise of Open Educational Resources. And some of you may not know what NROC is, and you are going to find out before this podcast is over. And I think you'll be fascinated with the project. With me today, and many of you may know Terry in the business, it's Terry Rowanhorse. And Terry has been working for over 20 years in educational publishing and technology. She's worked with McGraw-Hill, she's worked with Harcourt, Pearson, and WebCT. And most recently, she's been working for the Monterey Institute for Technology and Education. And the cornerstone project for the Monterey Institute is actually NROC. And NROC stands for the National Repository of Online Courses. And Terry directs the membership efforts for this nonprofit organization and for NROC. And Terry, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, I know how crazy busy your life is, so <laughs> thank you for taking the time. A lot of people may not be familiar with NROC. Tell us a little bit about not only evolution, but what their goals are. Great. Happy to do that. NROC was actually established in 2004, along with the Monterey Institute for Technology and Education. That was NROC was really our first project, and we got generous funding from the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. They still are great supporters of ours. And we also, in a, in, what Hewlett wanted us to do was to build a national repository of online courses. So find some really great content that was out there and make it usable for lots of people. So that was our goal. And they were, we were fortunate enough that they were able to offer up to us in cooperation with the University of California system Excellent. some content to go with it. So the UC um, system had some really awesome advanced placement content that was contributed to the initiative from the start. So we had money and we had some great content. And the first thing we had to do was establish some editorial and technical guidelines because if this was going to be shareable material, there were a lot of technical considerations. And most contributed courses come in a big bulk, and we wanted to break those down into smaller objects mm -hmm. that could be mixed and matched by people. We also wanted to assure folks that there were some quality standards that these materials would live up to. So our technical and editorial guidelines were our first step, and we applied those to this first contribution of content. And before you knew it, we had a National Repository of Online Courses that began with about, 20, I think it was 28 courses in the, in the beginning. And as we've continued the project, we have had more difficulty finding really great content that was sort of ready to go and be shared hmm. by folks. So what we've done in, in light of that is develop a collaborative social authoring process is what we call it. So now, rather than looking for courses that are pretty much ready to go, we're looking for great components of courses, and we might get those components from several different places, and we're doing what we call mashups in this space to create new 
brand new courses that can be shared and meet these editorial and technical guidelines that we've established. You all have done an incredible job. You have a great reputation and very exciting to be on the ground floor of doing something like that. It really is a fun project and we're all having a great time finding some of the best resources out there. One of the things that's happened in the evolution, uh, so now we had these great materials but we were asking people to put them on their own servers. People are still able to do that but we decided our real mission was access. So we wanted lots of folks to have access to these as open educational resources. We were funded under that umbrella at Hewlett. And so in the past year, last fall, we actually launched a site called Hippocampus. So it's www.hippocampus.org. And that's a site where the world can access all of these great resources at no cost. So everything that's in the NROC repository is available there for teachers to use, for students to use, the site can be customized for teachers to focus students' efforts on specific content. And that's really a very exciting, probably the most exciting thing that's happened in the past year in this initiative. As you mentioned, I am in charge of membership efforts, so that's when we're looking at the evolution of this project. Started out with just 12 advisory members, and about half of those are high school and half college. Mm -hmm. And this is where I feel a great affinity with USDLA because you reach out to both secondary and post-secondary institutions and that's a big part of our goal as well. But now we've grown from 12 advisory members back in 2004 to over about 50 members now. We oh, have 50 excellent. institutional members. And these are folks that have decided this is a, a cause worth supporting because they started to incorporate the curriculum themselves. And once they start to use these materials, they want to make sure they're going to be available over the long haul too. Excellent. So that's what these institutions are helping us support. Great. Well, what do you feel makes NROC unique? There is a growing array of open educational resources, mm -hmm. as you know, and NROC is probably one of the most well-known. Mm -hmm. And what do you feel makes it unique and the head of the crowd? I think what, I, I don't know that we're necessarily head. I think when we say open educational resources, the first project folks think of probably is the open courseware project from MIT, which mm -hmm. was also funded by Hewlett. But most of the projects that initiated this movement were really focused on higher ed. And so we're really trying to reach out to both higher ed and K-12, the spot, that sweet spot where they connect college prep, gen ed. Excellent. So that's it's unique that we actually have materials for secondary folks too. And then the fact that we have that we're breaking full courses down into smaller objects that can be repurposed for, for folks to adapt for their own curricular needs. Mm -hmm. You'll find great repositories like Merlot that have great objects, but they aren't necessarily in a complete curricular context. And so it may, we think that it makes it a little bit easier for teachers to use when it's actually in a curricular context tied to textbooks that they know, mapped to standards that the state might have, that it's a little bit easier for teachers to figure out what to do with the objects. Good point. I mentioned that we have this editorial and technical guidelines. That's another thing that's unique about the project is that there's actual maintenance of the content. So like when QuickTime comes out with a new version of QuickTime that doesn't support Flash Player, like happened this past year, we can actually do something about that in a hurry and sort of mm -hmm. adapt all of the content so it's addressed and folks out there who are responsible for instructional design and support of online programs know how burdensome some of these maintenance issues can yes, be. Yes, absolutely. And the last thing that's sort of unique about this project is that our, through our membership model, we have a plan to keep these materials available once grant funding is over because mm -hmm. it's bound to come to an end someday. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I know there's a real concern nationally about 
our underserved students and populations. Could you share some examples of how this project is reaching out to this group of um, students? This is actually one of the most exciting things, I think. And, and these years that I've spent in educational technology, We've often talked about multimodal experiences and, and how students have different learning styles and how students that are poor readers can benefit from audio presentations or visual learners can benefit from simulations in the science course. And so what rich media-based courses do is bring students that opportunity. So we've heard from folks using Hippocampus with English language learners from a variety of countries and having, having lots of ways to look at the content is making it more accessible. We've also heard from teachers who work with students who have failed in traditional classrooms. Perhaps it's from, from learning challenges that they have, or perhaps it's because they have to work. So a lot of reasons, but these materials have made success in school a little bit more feasible for some of these kids. I know you have had a lot of successes, but what accomplishment proudest of to date, would you say? Well, I think we are, we're especially proud to have these institutional members who believe in this project enough to support it, who are willing to put their own resources forward so we can collaborate and make a richer repository more quickly. They are definitely pioneers, especially those first 12 that trusted this initiative yes. and saw the power of it. It's really amazing. So those folks are really showing the world, demonstrating through their own actions, a commitment to finding new ways to reach students. But the project itself, aside from what's happening in the U.S., I'm really pleased at the way these resources are becoming available for populations in the developing world. We've got folks using these materials, obviously not over broadband, so they're distributing them on CD, but in Rwanda, Uganda. Mm. We have folks in, at the University of Guadalajara doing Spanish translations of the science and math materials that will come back to the repository to share. It's being used in Chile. Chinese translations are happening. So it's the materials are actually reaching out to the world. And that was really the, the real objective behind Hewlett's funding of it initially is to try and give more folks in the world a chance at some of the same opportunities we have in the United States. And so in addition to our, our wonderful membership here that's helping to support it, those same folks are also supporting this broader mission of reaching out with educational opportunity to the world. And we all know there are always challenges, NROC's greatest challenges, let's say. I can really think of three big challenges that we wrestle with on a regular basis. And one of those, I mean, this one should be the easy one, and it's what we're talking about it for today, is building awareness of the resources. These are out there. They're free to the world. We want people to share about hippocampus.org. We want people to incorporate it in their professional development so new teachers know that it's out there. We want them to share hippocampus with students as a homework resource through their libraries and so forth. So building awareness is one of the huge challenges we face. Success of this project is ultimately me measured by the number of folks using it. So that's the most important thing. That's how Hewlett sees us as successful, and it's how we fulfill our mission, which is our, our number one goal. But there are a couple of other things that are a little bit more difficult to overcome. One of those is academic environment is really the nature of, particularly in higher ed, is not one of collaboration. It's mm -hmm. of intellectual freedom and individuality and getting folks to put their heads together to create stuff for a broader audience is a, is a culture shift. And we can only be a small part of that culture shift, but we really we know that that's really important to this project moving forward, that folks that get grant funding to develop great stuff, that they're willing to share it with an even broader audience for free to take that risk and see what comes of the project. And that objective, that challenge goes hand in hand with another, which is 
Hewlett's funded us for operations. They haven't funded us for course development. Oh, okay. And so we look to our members to, you know, to help support development. And we look to institutions to have sort of a spirit of sharing when they're building something really great that they'll want to share it with the world. So we really want to build more courses faster, but that requires more contributions from the world to make it happen. Absolutely. Excitingly, you have received two more years of funding. That's right. And so what do you see the project looking like, two more years of funding? It's funny because I was at a session once, and he said we weren't disruptive technology. Because we were a tool for teachers, but this technology has the potential to become disruptive in the hands of students. And I really hope that students will start taking some of these content objects, making them their own, and sharing them in, in unique ways so that we'll learn from these digital natives as opposed to our adaptations of the materials. We're also hoping that over the next two years, we'll have enough of a user base, particularly at Hippocampus, that we'll be able to use NROC, offer it up as a tool to researchers so they can identify what's leading to student success in the use of these materials. And of course, we're hoping to be self-sustaining at the end of these two years, not knowing whether or not the Hewlett will continue to fund the project in the future. We've had uh, six years of funding. Now, this will be at the end of this period, it'll be six years. It's a, uh, it's a very generous support level, and we're yes. very appreciative. But we know it's time for us to be on our own. And, and ultimately, we hope that when folks do get grants, that they're going to think of NROC as a way to distribute the material. Well, Terry, it's a very impressive project, and obviously your leadership and involvement has, has really made a difference, and I know a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast will have questions and, and want to talk further with you. Could you just give us your contact information? Sure. I'd like to reiterate the website first, so I'd okay. love for everyone to go to www.hippocampus.org. If you want to learn more about the broader aspects of the Monterey Institute, that's www.montereyinstitute.org. And if you want to contact me, I am at trowenhorstmontereyinstitute.org. <laughs> Thank you. This is Marilyn Gardner with the United States Distance Learning Association. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you have a great week. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by Nova Southeastern University's Fischler School of Education and Human Services. The Fischler School has the largest graduate school of education at an accredited university, serving more than 14,000 students each academic year in some 55 cities across the United States, plus approximately 40 other countries. The Fischler School of Education and Human Services is dedicated to the enhancement and continuing support of teachers, administrators, trainers, and others working in related helping professions throughout the world.